Turn with me this morning in your Bible to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles. So this morning we're turning to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And I'm going to read the first 13 verses with you. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. We'll commence the reading at verse 1. Reading, of course, from the authorised version. Now try and follow the reading as carefully as you can. Let's hear the word of the Lord. It came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon and with other beside the Ammonites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side Syria. And behold, they be in Hazon Tamar, which is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven, and rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thine hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee? Art not thou our God, who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel? And gavest it to the seed of Abraham, thy friend, forever. And they dwelt therein, and have built thee a sanctuary therein, for thy name, saying, If when evil cometh upon you, as the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we stand before this house, and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction, then thou will hear and help. And now behold the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom thou wouldest not let Israel invade when they come out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and destroyed them not. Behold, I say, how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit. O our God, wilt thou not judge there? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. And all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. Amen. We trust and pray God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now, my text this morning is taken from 2 Chronicles, 
chapter 20, verse 12. It reads, O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. And my theme today is fixing and keeping your eyes on the Lord. So you know the text. Now you also know the theme. Fixing and keeping our eyes on the Lord. Jehoshaphat was the fourth king to reign over Judah out of 19 kings and one queen. When his godly father Asa died, Jehoshaphat was 35. In the same year, he began his reign. He reigned for 25 years over Judah in Jerusalem. And you can read about his life story in 2 Chronicles chapters 17 right through to 20 or into 21. Jehoshaphat was one of the few kings of Judah that feared the Lord and sought to direct the land in the ways of God himself. Sadly, many out of the 19 kings and one queen of Judah, they used their position to promote sin, to parade idolatry, and to practice immorality. Many of these kings and one queen had no interest in the things of God. So they didn't use their influence for good or for God. But Jehoshaphat was different. He was a man who sought God with all his heart. Now let me emphasize, he was not a perfect man. He was a man who made some bad decisions. And remember, none of us are perfect. And we believe in the fallibility even of ministers. And even as ministers, we can make bad decisions. Jehoshaphat's decisions led to compromise even with the worst of men, namely Ahab. And he was rebuked by the prophet who asked him, Shouldest thou help the ungodly? Shouldest thou love the ungodly? However, for the most part, Jehoshaphat had a heart to serve God. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 18, we read that he set in motion a spiritual reformation in the land. Out of his love for the Lord and his desire to please and obey him, he removed false worship and idolatry to a large extent out of Judah. He established the importance and the supremacy of the word of God in their lives. He called for faithfulness among the priests, the teachers of the law. On top of that, he sought to learn from past mistakes. He had a desire to do what was right in the sight of the Lord. He honestly wanted to walk in the old paths. He wanted to embrace the old precepts. He is a burden to put his house in order in a way that pleased and glorified the Lord. Now, despite this longing to do the will of God and to know and experience God's blessing in the land of Judah and this attempt to implement spiritual reformation, Jehoshaphat found himself in a situation where his back was against the wall. Despite this longing, 
to do the will of God and to know and experience God's blessing. This attempt at spiritual reformation, he found himself in a situation where his back was against the wall. For after this period of reformation, this public display of instruction, the land in the ways of God, the land of Judah came under attack. A great company of the Moabites, the Ammonites, and another group that we know as the Edomites, they came up against Jehoshaphat to battle. If you look with me at chapter 20 at verse 1, it says, And it came to pass after this also, that was after the period of Reformation, that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon and with other beside the Ammonites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Now the sole aim of the enemy was the entire destruction of the children of Israel in the territory of Judah. Their desire was to take over the land of Judah. Three countries coming together, acting like one. And here's Jehoshaphat, this godly king, uh, who's seeking to serve the Lord, albeit not perfectly. And he's now facing one of his greatest challenges in life. It was almost like an impossible situation. It was a, a great challenge. It, to me, it was a matter of life and death. This man would have been at Wits End Corner. And if you've ever been there, then you know all about that experience. He did not know what to do. And what he did do is a tremendous encouragement for us as the people of God because he turned himself to seek the God of his fathers. And he not only called on God, but he fasted and he prayed. And here he is in the verse 12. And what he's telling the Lord is this, that we have no power in ourselves to deal with this great company, Lord. And we have no answer against this great might. And, and, and we do not know what to do. But look at the end of verse 12. But our eyes are upon thee. You see, Second Chronicles chapter 20 is a remarkable account of divine intervention. A remarkable account of having hope in God and finding help and deliverance from him even in a time of national crisis. Jehoshaphat knows that he needs divine intervention. He needs the help of the Lord. The whole of Judah along with him knows it. And there he is seeking God and asking for that help. And could I just say this morning, when you're in an impossible situation, when your back's against the wall, when you're at that wit's end corner experience and you've no help in yourself and you don't know what to do and you, you, you think this is impossible and hopeless, then go to God. Call upon him. Seek his face. Be fast and wait before the Lord until he comes and helps and gives an answer. Now that's what we're going to think about this morning. And this is really, I suppose, maybe the first part of a two-part sermon. We will maybe get the second part next week. I want you to think, first of all, of the crisis that was analyzed. Look at the text. He says there in the text, For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us, neither know we what to do. 
No might against this great company that cometh against us. The situation that Judah faced was clear and plain. Three powerful countries, the Edomites, the Ammonites, and the Moabites, they had come together and formed an alliance. And they had come with the sole aim of dethroning Jehoshaphat, destroying the land of Judah, stripping them away from God's possession, and reversing God's plan, really, for them. If you think of verse 11, he says, Behold, I say how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit. That was really a reversal of God's will and God's plan for them. Now, let me tell you something. This was a huge enemy. Three countries amalgamating into one. And in fact, one of the scouts that reported this said to Jehoshaphat, then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, look at verse 2, there cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the side of this, from beyond the sea in this side Syria. Now, now we'll pause there. A great multitude against thee, the Bible says. In other words, this was a huge enemy. It's estimated by the commentators that it could have totaled one million. And I, I, I've no doubt that the devil was at the back of this. Remember, this is after the period of spiritual reformation taking place in the land. Why did it come to pass after this period of reformation that this happened? Well, the answer is very simple. The devil was at the back of it. The devil <coughs> used the sin of their jealousy, their greed, their envy, their hatred of Jehoshaphat and the children of Israel. And these three countries formed an alliance. They sent a, a million soldiers uh, with one uh, sole purpose, to, to conquer the territory of Judah, to dethrone Jehoshaphat, to strip away the land, to drive the families out of their homes, to kill mothers and babies and rob them of their life and their liberty and their inheritance. Could I say this morning, let's never underestimate the power of the devil. Young people, there is a devil, a real personal devil. You as a child of God should never forget that you're in a spiritual war. That you're constantly and daily in a titanic struggle with the forces of darkness. With the devil and the hordes of demons that he has under his control. And that constant titanic struggle against the forces of devil and, and the forces of God and, and the Lord's Christ is, is ongoing today. Turn over there to Ephesians chapter 6. Remember what we read there in Ephesians chapter 6. He says in verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put all the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Listen to verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Do, do you see that? You see, our conflict is not merely against flesh and blood. We see the human, we see the visible, we hear the audible, but we, we need to go beyond that and see the invisible. 
We need to go beyond that and see the inhuman. We need to see that behind the flesh and blood is dark satanic forces that are at work. This was a huge enemy. Could I tell you something else? This is a hidden enemy. Where was the enemy located? If you look at chapter 20 again, and in the verse 2, it says, And behold, they be in Hazon Tamar, which is in En Gedi. Now, now where's En Gedi? Well, well, it's not in Northern Ireland. All right? You've got to remember this is the land of Israel. And En Gedi is at the south end of the Dead Sea. You, you know you've got the, the Sea of Galilee at the top, and then you've got the River Jordan running down, and then the River Jordan runs into the Dead Sea. And this is down at the southern end of the Dead Sea. In other words, it's the west coast. And, and, and En Gedi is actually hidden from Jerusalem by mountains that they acted as a shield. And then when you come past the mountain area, you come into a, a, a big forest area. This is the place where David, remember, hid from Saul for, for a number of years. And, and the mountains and the, 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 the uh, forest area provided good camouf camouflage. And is not the strategy of the enemy of our soul to, to remain hidden? And, and, and he uses stealth and cunning. And, and he, he positions himself out of sight and out of view. Doesn't the Bible talk about, and we already read it there in Ephesians 6 and verse 11, the wiles of the devil? Doesn't the Bible tell us that we're not to be ignorant of his devices? The devil has a thousand ways to camouflage himself. I want you to see also the hostility of the enemy. Listen again to verse 11, chapter 20, verse 11. Behold, I say how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit. That, that's their sole purpose. That's their aim and object, to, to annihilate the territory of Judah, to, to annex the country, to, to carve it up among themselves, to, to murder and enslave its people. And do you know how far they got? They were 35 miles southeast of Jerusalem. Because if you measure from Jerusalem to En Gedi, that's exactly the distance as the crow flies. And these were the very forces that he faced. And is it any wonder we read in verse 3 there of 2 Chronicles chapter 20, And Jehoshaphat feared. Jehoshaphat feared. Can I tell you this morning, our United Kingdom and this wee province of Northern Ireland that we love is facing a national crisis. You think of the explosion of the past 50 years of domestic violence. 31,000 reported to the PSNI last year. You add into the mix murder and theft, and rape, drug addiction, alcohol abuse. You, you think today of the call for abortion on demand to be introduced under the guise of rights. What about the rights of the unborn? You, you think of the call for the introduction of a, an Irish Language Act. Whenever the Irish language is already being protected in law and millions are being spent promoting it. You, you think of the push for transgender issues to be taught in our primary schools under the guise of education. You think of the explosion today of 
homosexuality and all forms of sexual perversion. And you add into the mix the confusion and the compromise of politicians who are running like headless chickens who who don't really know what to do. And, And who's behind this? Well, it's the same old enemy. It's, it's the devil and the minions of hell. The devil and his huge legions of demons. And they're unceasing and they're unending in their attack to destroy the Lord and the witness of the Lord in the land. This wee country is facing a national crisis. Could I tell you as well, this is a time of spiritual crisis. Many congregations have departed from the old paths. And they've abandoned the old truths. And the word of God is no longer central in the worship service the way it used to be in many Protestant churches this morning. And what we have, of course, is the removal of the pulpit. And we now have a stage and a a performance. And you've got the praise band and the praise group. And I'm not saying there's not a place for praise, but when they become central and they've taken over from the word of God, many ministers no longer preach the gospel of the person and work of the Lord Jesus. They've got new light. They've got new ideas. And there's an acceptance today and a toleration even of sin. And you have ministers now accepting abortion and accepting transgender issues and accepting homosexuality. And they talk the talk of love and grace and mercy. But I want to tell you, those words are devoid of meaning. They even mention Christ, but it's not the Christ of the Bible. And you add into that mix the ecumenical movement's influence in the Protestant churches. You add into the mix the charismatic confusion. And is it any wonder there's a decline in biblical standards? Is it any wonder there's a decline in holiness? Where's the call for separation unto the Lord? Where's the call for holy living? Is there not a decline in God raising up faithful preachers? Is there not a decline of interest even within congregations? You think of the Sunday night service, the Lord's Day. They're out in the morning, but where are they at night? Well, well, by and large, they're doing their own thing. And yet we profess to be Bible-loving and Bible-believing churches. What about the Sabbath day? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Is there not a decline in the prayer meetings? Is there not a decline in the fear of God? You see, we're facing a crisis. A spiritual crisis. And I want to tell you, I believe the devil's at the back of it. And I want to add this. The Free Presbyterian Church is not a perfect church. Or a perfect denomination. There is none on this earth. But the Free Presbyterian Church at this time needs a move of the Holy Ghost. And we need to honestly face if there's sin amongst us in the camp. And it needs to be confessed and repented of. Because that's where true revival starts. Lord, we have sinned against thee. Lord, have mercy. Lord, come and visit us again. See, it's a time of spiritual crisis. Maybe you're here this morning and for you it's a time of personal crisis. Maybe there's a crisis in your home. 
You're full of fear. You're at wit's end, corner experience. You're scared to death of what's going to happen. Maybe there's problems in the marriage. Maybe it's problems to do with finance. Maybe it's problems to do with teenagers. Teenagers, of course, can be rebellious. They can be full of pride. They can want their own way, and it can cause a lot of heartache and tears. We need to pray for mummies and daddies as they deal with teenagers at this time. And we need to have grace and love in our heart as we minister to them. Maybe it's a big family problem where where a family circle has fallen out. Maybe it's over money or over a will or something else. And people are not speaking. And and, and maybe it's a problem with another believer and, and there's been a fallout there and the situation seems hard and hopeless. And, and what do we need? Well, we need the grace of God. We need the help of the Lord. We need strength and wisdom. But we need honesty and humility, as we're going to see. What I'm saying this morning is when we've got a crisis, we need to analyze it properly. And when we read the prayer of Jehoshaphat, I want to tell you, he analyzed the crisis properly because he alone said to God, For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. This great company. He could see this huge, hidden, hostile enemy. And he feared in his heart. He knew this was a real crisis. Could I say secondly, and I'm conscious of time this morning, the confession that was announced. Not only the crisis that was analyzed, but the confession that was announced. Look with me again at the text. He says, For we have no might against this great company. Underline those words, we have no might. And then underline the words, Neither know we what to do. You see, here's here's Jehoshaphat and Judah facing certain destruction. And he feared. He wasn't putting on a brave face. He wasn't pretending all is well. He wasn't sitting in the palace in Jerusalem and drinking tea and thinking, you know, our army could fight our way out of this. We can face down this threat. He wasn't sitting saying, it'll be okay. Trust me, I'm the king. I'll be able to deliver you. He wasn't boasting. He wasn't full of pride. This was a full frontal confession before all of Judah Before the Lord, he says, we have no might. Neither know we what to do. Do you know what he did? He realized his inadequacy. We have no might. Neither know we what to do. You see, he realized he had no answer in and of himself. He realized there's nothing he could do to to save himself. The enemy was too powerful. This enemy was vast. He knew there was nothing in himself that he could do to hold on to the throne of Judah. Nothing he could do to safeguard the Lord's inheritance. Lord, I can't stop the enemy in its tracks. Lord, I have no solution in and of myself. And you know, in a national crisis, when there's a crisis in the country, or there's a spiritual crisis emanating in the congregations of the Lord, or whether it's a personal crisis, You need to realize, and I need to realize, our total inadequacy. 
that we have no might or we're no match for the enemy. And you see, that requires a true spirit of honesty. That requires a true spirit of humility. Remember, Jehoshaphat's the king. And is it not the king's job to protect the country? And he's telling the people, I am unable to do it. I'm unable to bring about our deliverance. And that wasn't easy for him to make that confession. But he realized his total inadequacy. I believe there was solemn heart searching. And I believe we need to face up to that same reality. And we need to see things as we are. And could I say this morning, I believe that we in the Free Presbyterian Church need to come to this place. It's proper that we analyze the crisis, but we need to make this confession, honestly and humbly before the Lord. Lord, I'm helpless apart from you. I want to say this morning, the Free Presbyterian Church and the Baptist churches, let's pray for them too, and the independent Methodists, and other that are reformed in evangelical churches, even all of us together, we could not stem the tide of iniquity that's exploding in Northern Ireland. We can't turn back the tide of sin. We, we, we can't bring about change in Northern Ireland. We can't save one soul. We can't revive the church. Even though the free church needs for reviving. And we long for the old days. And we long for strong leadership like we had in the uh, days of Dr. Paisley again. We can't bring that about. We can't overcome the enemy of the gospel in our own strength and power. We're helpless. No matter the crisis, national crisis, spiritual, personal, family crisis, let's make this confession honestly. Let's realize our total inadequacy. I'll tell you something else. He realized his responsibility. Because he tells us there in chapter 20 and the verse 3, and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Now, and Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Verse 5 tells us, And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, And then what follows in verse 6 is his prayer, O Lord God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven, and rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thine hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee. You see, notice what he did. He set himself to seek the Lord. And that's your responsibility and mine. That's especially mine. And I covet your prayers that I might have grace to fulfill that responsibility. You see, Jehoshaphat didn't give up. He didn't surrender. He didn't apply the logic of fatalism. He didn't say, well, it's no hope here. Let's try and negotiate with the enemy. Let's, let's offer terms of peace. He didn't say all is lost. It's hopeless. Close the door. Put the lights out. Let's go home. No. He went to God in prayer. And you know, it's as simple as that, but it's as sublime as that. And that's the need of the hour. 
And I want to say that's the need of the free Presbyterian church. It's not more rules and regulations from the book of common order. It's not even a positive presentation of the church in the community. It's not even more organization. It's not we'll let all the ministers have degrees out of university. Let's have more skill and oratory and let's have lectures and historians and comedians in the pulpit. It's not even more human resources and somebody come and saying, well, look, I'm a billionaire and I'm a millionaire and I'll give you the money here. No, no, we need God. And we need to seek God. And we need to realize we've got a responsibility here. God has given us many privileges, but also many responsibilities. And I merely don't want to be a spectator. I need to be a supplicator. David said in Psalm 109, but I gave myself to prayer. And that's what we need. We need men and women who give themselves to prayer. Men and women who have a burden for the Lord. We desire men and women to come. I have prayed that God will send us individuals and families who have been sent here by the Lord. And who will give themselves 100% in total commitment. And of course we in leadership and I as the pastor realize got to lead from the front. I would ask you to bear with us. We're not perfect. We're going to make mistakes. I know that we can't lift you higher, spiritually speaking, than what we are ourselves. But we need the Lord. And it amazes me that you're here every Sunday. And I appreciate that. And I, I say that from my heart. We, we thank you for coming. At times it grieves me when I know that many could be here that are not here. And yet, what do we need? We need God to come. And here's Jehoshaphat. He faces a crisis. He doesn't call for a Kirk session meeting or the elders. He doesn't call a committee meeting. doesn't have a tea party. He doesn't even have a security council meeting. No, no. He first of all calls on God. And when you have a problem, when you have a, a crisis, a, a, an insurmountable difficulty, then the first port of call that I want you to do is seek the faith of the Lord. Jehoshaphat exercised great faith in the Lord. He loved the Lord. And he laid before him all his trouble. Prayer was the first thing that he did. Did you know that the British government... A number of years ago, whenever there was an outbreak of foot and mouth disease and there was no problem sealing the border then, Dr. Paisley, the late Dr. Paisley, stood up in Parliament and he called for a day of prayer and fasting. Do you know what? They laughed at him. You see, the vast majority of our parliamentarians don't give a hoot for God or the things of God. What we need again is leaders who believe in the power of prayer. And what a remarkable prayer Jehoshaphat offered. It focused on the greatness of God. You see, the prayer was all taken up with God. Jehoshaphat believed that nothing is impossible with God. He talked about, oh God of our fathers. He was in a relationship with God. 
The, the, he, 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 he knew that the God of heaven ruled the nations of the earth. And here's one of the great examples of the power of prayer. This man prayed as if his life depended. It wasn't a long prayer. He, he linked prayer and fasting. He signaled before the Lord that he meant business. He was willing to forget food, to, to go to God, and he prayed until the answer comes. It was Spurgeon who said, there's not a crisis that can't overcome fear. Why? Because we have a God who can and will shake the world. And God is enough. Go to God. And this prayer focuses on God's sovereignty, God's strength, God's security. It's all here. God can change the difficult situation. God can work in a hopeless crisis because God is able through the gospel and through Christ to save and to succor and to supply and to surprise. He's able to sympathize. He is sovereign. And it was Jehoshaphat who not only realized his inadequacy and realized his responsibility, but he realized God's sovereignty. Notice in closing, very quickly, the comfort that was accepted. But our eyes are upon thee. See, he wasn't looking at the situation. He wasn't looking at self. He was looking to the Lord. In this fearful situation, he was led to pray, seeking God. He fasted. He had faith in God. But he was focused on him. This man was expecting God to work. He was watching and waiting God to work. This, this man endured. He was waiting for the answer. It tells us in verse 13, And all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. The entire families were involved. Could I ask in closing, in this time of crisis, where are our eyes? Are we full of fear and shaking our heads? Or are we faithfully focused on our God and our relationship to him? And to us nothing else matters because we've got our eyes in him. Remember Peter came out of the boat. He walked in the water to the Lord Jesus. Why? Because his eyes were in Christ. But the moment he saw the wind and the waves and took his eyes of the Savior, he began to sink. You see, let's remember our God alone has the answer. We can relay our fears at every crisis at his feet because there's none greater than our God. There's none are equal. Let's not underestimate the power of God. God rules. So therefore, don't quit. Don't give up. Don't go back. Believe in him. And let this comfort that Jehoshaphat had be your comfort today in the crisis. But our eyes are upon thee. Have faith in God and remain focused on him. May the Lord bless these few remarks to our hearts and understanding today.